Benjamin, thank you so much. That happens to be my favorite hymn. I really, really like that song. One thing that we didn't do that I would like for us to do, and maybe Janet did it, but I didn't really notice it, is that I would like to ask all of you who were involved this week with VBS to stand up, because we just need to thank you. Stand up, please. Thank you so much. That, in fact, many of you actually took off from work, and that was a sacrifice, and I know the Lord's going to reward you. Jesus said, when we seek first the kingdom of God, the other things will be added to us. So thank you so much for investing in the children. It was a great week. This morning, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Numbers. We are in Numbers chapter 32 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand. We have plenty of extra Bibles, and we would love to give you a Bible. We're really trying to encourage people. One of the neat things about the way God is blessing our church is that we're finding there are an awful lot of people who grew up in a church, but they never really learned the Bible. And many of them weren't interested, but have become interested. And part of that is because the Lord opens our eyes and He draws us. So if you aren't at all interested in the Bible... One of the best things you can do is at least begin to read it and just ask God to open your eyes. And I think what one of the biggest things I've found is that so many people have thought they've been exposed to the Bible that they've been inoculated against the real thing. And so I think what you're going to find if you're new with us is that there are so many things that we were taught that aren't what the Bible teaches. And so we're prepared to say, okay, God, I want you to speak to me through your word. So we've been going through the book of Numbers, and it's been a real joy. I've, I've been really challenged to think about my own relationship with Christ and how, in many ways, the Christian life is a life of war, a spiritual war, but it's also a life of worship. We don't just complain, but we walk with God on our way to the promised land. So with that in mind, let me remind you where we are, because we're just about done the book. Oops, that was too many. It's the story of God's people wandering war and worship in the wilderness for 40 years. So you'll remember that the story begins, the story of the children of Israel, as God had promised that he would raise up a people who would bring Messiah. Jesus was going to come out of a seed, out of a, out of a nation, and he was going to come to bless the nations. And so Moses led the children of Israel across the Red Sea, down to Sinai, and eventually up to the Promised Land. The book of Numbers begins at Sinai, and records this 40-year journey where they end up on the plains of Moab, and that's where we are now. We're, we're kind of at the end of the book. The three sections of the book, remember that chapters 1 through 9 were all preparation. They were just getting ready for the journey, and then 10 through 19 tell us about their miserable failures, their complaining, their unbelief, their jealousy, their anger, their stubbornness, to submit to God, blaming God, blaming Moses. It was a horrible, some of you have had a vacation like that. It was just horrible, right? You weren't even out of the driveway. But the end of the book is God preparing the second generation. It's, it's the, the, the children of all those who died off are about to enter into the land. So where we are in the book now, we're about to finish. Pastor Bob's going to close us out, but 
right now we're in this second generation prepping, and we saw Moses and the bronze serpent. We saw that section on Balaam, on Phineas. We talked about the laws for offerings. And then last week we saw how God told Moses to strike the Midianites. So today we're going to look at chapters 32, 33, and 34. Chapter 32 is about Reuben and Gad's land choice. And we're going to talk about that. And then chapter 33 is just a, 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 a travelogue. Moses is going to go over. This is everywhere we went, which sounds kind of boring, but it, it's not. And then in chapter 34, God's going to say, I want you to just rehearse the borders of this land I'm going to give you. And then ultimately, Bob's going to finish this off with 35 and 36 as they have refuge cities and rules for inheritance. Now, I want to go back to the map because I think this is important to see where we are in the text. So God, when he gives the boundaries in this section, the boundaries of the promised land are going to go around here. The Jordan River is going to be the dividing side. So those of you that are on the other side, the boundaries of the promised land are going to be kind of in this area up the Jordan River. Right now, they're on the outside. This was not considered to be part of the promised land. But as they're resting here, ready to enter the promised land, two of the tribes are getting very comfortable. They like the layout. And so they decide that they would rather have this land. So they ask God, they go, hey God, or hey Moses, how about if we just stay here? We like it here, it's pretty. And we think this is just suitable, it fits our taste. And Moses goes off the deep end. He's so angry because God promised them in here. I want you to think about the implications. Was this wrong? Was this neutral? Let's read the passage and, and see how the Lord speaks to us. As Because we have decisions to make just like that. We have decisions that have both temporary and eternal consequences. Where we live, who we marry, what job we choose, what we do with our money, what we do with our recreation, the friends that we choose, the schools that we choose, there are so many decisions that we have to make that can sort of be, there's like two choices, the bird in the hand or the pie in the sky. Some of you have seen shows where, where <clears throat> you'll have three doors and you get to pick door number one, door number two, door number three. It's kind of like that in the sense of these people saying door number one was to have this land. Door number two is this land. We've never seen what's behind this land. So why don't we just take what we can see rather than what we can't see? Now, the Bible tells us, though, that we should always walk by faith, not by sight. So, so let's look how this chapter unfolds. Father, now as we're going to look at this chapter, you said whatever was written in the Old Testament was for our instruction. So help each one of us, even young people, to think about decisions that we make, choices that we make, things that we want that may be okay but might not be the best and might cause us to forfeit blessings. Thank you for how your word directs us in these, these ways and we can apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's, let's begin looking at the text. It says, now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad, now remember there's 12 tribes, had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was suitable for the livestock. Now, this would have been 
the part that's not part of the promised land. They're like, hey, this is pretty good. They, they, they came to Eliezer the priest and Moses. They brought their request. Their leaders. They said, the land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And hey, your servants have livestock. So if we found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Now God had said, that land will be your possession. And they go, can we just have this land? It looks really good. But Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben. Now imagine the emotion here. This is not just like Robotron Moses. Shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? In other words, we don't just walk in and get that land. We have to fight for that land. And you cowards are going to stay behind and live in comfort while we're going to go have to battle? Why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given to them? We need every single soldier that we have. And and, 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 and what are you thinking? The only thing you're thinking about is yourself. This is what your fathers did. He goes, don't you have any memory of what your fathers did the last time this happened? When the spies went into the promised land and they came back and Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. And the other 10 said, no, we can't do that. This is what your fathers did. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel so that they didn't go into the land. That made God angry. The Lord's anger burned in that day. Don't you remember what happened, he says? None of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they didn't follow me fully. Are you nuts? Are you going to do this again? The only two that followed me were Caleb and Joshua. They followed the Lord fully. Now that, that's something to think about. That convicted me. Are you following the Lord fully? Or do you have one foot in the world? You're like, well, I, I don't like go out and do drugs. But are you passionate about your prayers? Reading the Bible, sharing your faith, serving the Lord? Or are you kind of like, well, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm all in, but, but I'm not against it. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years. Moses is still reminding them. Until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Now, Moses is like, are you going to do a redo? You have risen up in your father's place, you brood of sinful men, to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. Now at this point, I imagine Reuben and Gad and the leaders are kind of looking at each other like, Maybe that wasn't a good idea. Let's go huddle. So they go, they probably took a moment to reconvene or maybe they had already thought this through because they didn't just go away with their tail between their legs. They suggested a compromise. He said, if you turn away from following him, he'll abandon them in the wilderness and they will destroy all these people. Notice, you will destroy all these people. You make this choice for your comfort, and you're going to hurt a lot of other people. And that's something to think about. When you and I choose to disobey God, you're not just hurting you. I'm not just hurting me. I'm hurting my family. I'm hurting other Christians. I'm hurting my testimony. I'm, I'm, I'm discrediting the gospel. 
So sometimes when we make choices, we need to think about, is this just about me or is this about others and about the Lord? So they came near to him and they said, well, well Moses, can, can, we, can we come to a compromise? We'll build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. Now, the idea here is that they weren't starting from scratch. There were already cities that they had captured. Okay, so they weren't going to, like, this wasn't just barren land. They said, but, but we ourselves will be armed and ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place, while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We won't return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. Now, I want you to notice how they're going to use this phrase, his inheritance. It's kind of like they're, they're separating themselves. They're like, we'll help them get their inheritance over there in that promised land, but we want our inheritance over here. So, I, I say that's fairly noble. They're going, well, we'll go up and help you. We, we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond. Now I have a problem because God had said to them and he had been telling them for hundreds of years, I'm giving you this land for your inheritance. And they're going, now we're good. I'm all right. I, I, I don't want that inheritance. I want what I want. So, so we'll help them get theirs, but we feel like God has blessed us. So Moses considers, Moses is a reasonable guy. He says, all right, if you do this, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war, and all of you armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him. So he goes, all right, if you promise to come over and fight, pick up a couple subtle things, though. Number one, he goes, you'll go over before the Lord. He says it twice, before the Lord. Thought about that. I don't know about you, but when I go into battle, I kind of think I would prefer, if I was using a preposition, would, would you want to go in front of the Lord? I'd probably rather go either with the Lord or after the Lord. I'll just kind of like, get them, Jesus, get them, you know. <laughs> One time I was on a paintball team and we were doing a, um, it was a raid where everybody runs toward one another, you're kind of marching. But one of our zealous guys on our team who actually was the president of Karen at the time, names will remain anonymous, he runs out in front of us, right, and we're all trying to shoot the enemy, right, and he just runs ahead of all of us who are in a line, so let's just say it didn't fare well for his back, he should have kind of just, so I don't think Moses is implying that, that it's sinful, but it is helpful to remember that everything we should do, we should do with the Lord. We should, we should ask the Lord to go before us. Jesus said, as you make disciples, I am with you. Just, just keep conscious in your mind the need that we all have for the presence of the Lord. And so Moses says, if you subdue the Lord and afterward return, you'll be free of obligation towards the Lord and towards Israel. Now notice, again, there's sort of this separation. You, you want out of Israel? You don't want to be considered part of you see where we're going with this? You don't really want to be considered part of the church, the people of God. You kind of want to do it your way. But this is a really important verse. I want you to underline this one because this is a very famous verse. He says, all right, you promise. If you do so, good. But if you don't do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure of this. Your sin will find you 
out. Your sin will find you out. He does a couple things here. Number one, he personifies sin. Sin in itself is not a living being, but, it's, but it is a powerful force. God was the first one to personify sin. Remember when he said to Abel in Genesis 4, he said, Abel, I mean to Cain, you're, you're in danger right now. Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to dominate you, but you must master it. So, so what we're learning here is that there's something inside of us, this indwelling sin, that if we think that we can get away with it, we can keep it on the low down, we can have that little private affair, or we can sort of fix the books, or tell lies, or, or live a double life, and nothing happens. We're like, see? But God says, be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. Let me give you one quick example of that. When I was working at Cairn many years ago, one of our security guards, and our security guards are good people, but some people work the night shift. And when you're working the night shift, you have a lot of time on your hands. A lot of times you're just sitting in front of a computer. And one of our, one of our guards who was a student, and this was probably 20 years ago at least, um, started going onto a chat room. And some of you know that chat rooms can be a, a bad place to go. Um, it was a very bad chat room. And he began to type things and say things and, and um, engage with this person, thinking like, hey, and, and who knows how long had this been going on. And, and I'm not throwing this person under the bus because it's a perfect analogy of all of us, right? Our hearts have a tendency to, to want to sin in secret and think we're getting away with it. Well, one day, the people in the library came in to open up the library, which is a complete separate building from where the security guard was, and printed out on the printer were all of the conversations with the email of the guard, right? Now, I don't even know how that could happen, right? To this day, I'm like, that, that doesn't even um, make sense. How did that print out? But that always stuck with me as an example of your sin will find you out. Matthew Henry once said it this way, if we don't find our sins and repent of them, then our sins will find us, and the consequences and the shame will be greater. So that's a good thing just to remember from this passage. So Moses says, build your cities for your sheep. Do what you promised. And they said, your servants will do just as the Lord commands. Our little ones, our lives, and our livestock will remain there in Gilead while your servants armed for war will cross over. So Moses commanded Eliezer, the priests of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And Moses said, if the sons of Gad, the sons of Reuben, everyone who's armed for battle will cross over in the presence of the Lord, then give them this land. But if they don't cross over, they shall have possession among you in the land of Canaan. The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord lives, we will do. We ourselves will cross over armed in the presence of the Lord, and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us. Here's that separation. Our inheritance is over here. So the chapter winds down. Moses gave to them the sons of Reuben. Now he adds another tribe, the half-tribe of Joseph's son Manasseh. So now you've got two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. 
They want out of the promised land. They're, they're happy to settle for the land on the other side. So they went and dispossessed the land and they took it. So Moses gave that to them, called this there. Nova went there. The village called Nova after his name. Chapter ends. You go, what am I supposed to do with that? I want, I want to just um, make a few comments on that section. Um, there's just a few things I want you to think about as we work through that. First of all, I'm going to suggest, Gordon Wenham in his commentary said, most early Christian commentators, so, so in the first couple hundred years, most early Christian preachers said this, that these people pre preferred material prosperity rather than living in the promised land, okay? They were content with prosperity rather than with God's best. Matthew Henry said this. He said, there were two things that induced these tribes to make this choice. The lust of the, the eyes and the, and, and the lust of the flesh. The land they coveted was beautiful, pleasant, good for food, and they had a great multitude of cattle. So again, commentators seem to be reminding us that, man, there are some things that the world offers that are like, wow, that's, that's really attractive. So we're going to come back to that. We're going to say, well, do I ever do that? Do I ever choose comfort, material things, pleasure over God's best? Do I ever, do I ever like Esau say, I don't care about my spiritual inheritance. I just want some food right now. We sacrifice permanent on the altar of the immediate. Now, in terms of this phrase, your sin will find you out, John Calvin said this. He said, that's more emphatic than if, if he had just said, you're not going to escape God's hand. He says, vengeance is so connected with sin that it can't be covered or severed from it. Matthew Henry said, we better repent of our sins and forsake them lest they find us out to our ruin and confusion. So that's just a couple things to think about. Are, are, are we choosing pleasure over God's best? Are we hiding sin? Are you hiding sin this morning? You're like, hey, nobody knows about it. Well, God knows, and he may expose it. But then let's talk about this disuniting, this, this idea of saying, well, I don't need to be a part of that church. That, that's, that's a big thing in America. I can't tell you how many times I meet people who are like, yeah, we're saved, but we don't really go to church. We're not really a part of a local church. I want to tell you that from the standpoint of Scripture, that is so wrong and so unhealthy. Matthew Henry said this, people who disunite themselves from the body of the church do it as though they want to be emancipated from God. We ought to be on guard lest we go astray after our own lusts. And I love what the Expositor's Bible said. It said, these circumstances, because think about this. Think about how many people, you know, the average Christian goes to church maybe once a month now. They're like, you know, I got some Billy soccer, the beach, you know, there's so many going on. We might get there once a month. Think about this. This man said this. The circumstances back then resemble those of a church when the enjoyment of privilege and the gains of the past is chosen by many of its members. And then the rest are discouraged by this moral unbrotherliness, and they have to maintain the aggressive work which ought to be shared by all. In other words, 
if you're sort of half in and you come once in a while and you're not really serving, think about the stress you're putting on the less people who are saying, hey, we're trying to do the Lord's work, versus if everybody just jumps in and says, I'm committed. I'm not going to just kind of lie on the fringe. He says, the force of unity is lost. The Christian energy of large numbers lies unemployed. And the rest of the church is overburdened. And so churches often fall short of the success that they might attain. So the idea here, just think about this. Think about what God can and wants to do here. He's blessing us. We're seeing growth. We're seeing people saved. But what we don't want to see is a large fringe of people just going, well, you know, we're not really, you know, we're, we're pretty comfortable with our own thing versus being all in with the local church. And if you can't be all in with this local church, then find one that you can. It's not like we're the only church. And then Calvin said this. He said, you know what they really did was they, they consulted their own private convenience more than the public good. And he went on to say, and that's true about many Christians today. Philippians 2.22 says this. I can't find a lot of Christians who genuinely care about the interests of Christ because they're all seeking their own interests. Because at the end of the day, to go, hey, we want this, it was very selfish. They weren't thinking about anybody else but their own selves. And that's a common thing that we as Christians struggle with. How's this going to benefit me? The church is, I'm a consumer, and, and, and I want to find the Walmart super church that that benefits me versus looking at the church as, hey, I'm a soldier at war and at work for Christ. And as we stand together in unity and love and we're all involved using our gifts, we can do so much more for Christ. One of the interesting things is that Calvin compared this to Lot. He said, remember, Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah because it was so beautiful. But he says he smarted for that choice. And it is interesting that these tribes were the first ones carried away into Assyria before the other tribes. So perhaps in God's providence, he's like, fine, you want to sit on the fringe and do it your way? But when my discipline comes, those of you who wanted to be first are now going to experience my, my, my discipline. So we move now to chapter 33. We're going, okay, you ready to get bored? This is like getting a... a can I use Christmas letters? Are they okay? You know, 11-point font, two full pages, single space. just want to throw out maybe an idea here. Try to cut back on some of the details that are extremely personal. You know, unless Bucky's my nephew, I'm not as excited that he got his braces off. You know, um, so, so sometimes we, and, and you know, you, we all do it, right? We, we sort of half read. We're like, oh, my word. You know, and, and they're always great. You know, Jim got the promotion. We went to Hawaii for six months, you know. Billy got a full ride to Harvard, and um, we won the publisher's clearinghouse, so we're moving to a mansion, right? No one ever gives an honest one like, this year was lousy. Sometimes I wish I, I could trade kids. I saw a T-shirt that said, um, I decided I don't want kids. And then at the bottom it said, the kids aren't taking it real well. So... <laughs> Why can't we sometimes just say, hey, life is hard? So when, when we read something like this, you're going, okay, this is just a list of the journeys, right? Moses was keeping a log. 
These are the journeys of the sons of Israel. And we're just going to go from here to here to here to here. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to just think about a couple things. Number one, why? Why is this here at the end of the book? Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, this, this, this review of the journeys reminds them of all the ways that God brought them through difficulties. Okay, so Moses recorded the starting places. These are the journeys. Now, let, let's just look at a, a little sample. They journeyed from Ramses in the first month. On the next day after the Passover, the sons of Israel started out. So they think back how God sent this powerful Passover and delivered them out of Egypt while the Egyptians were burying their firstborn. The Lord executed judgments on their gods. Every one of those plagues was against one of the Egyptian gods. Oh, you want to worship frogs? I'll put a beat down on frogs. You worship flies? I'm the Lord. You worship cows? Uh, Cows aren't going to help you. So remember what God has done. Think back to personal victories. Now, one of the interesting things is there's hardly anything in here about their complaints. Moses doesn't go, and this is where you morons did this. And this is where I had to pray for you so God didn't kill you. And this is where I almost turned my back and just said, forget it. But it's just a review. So just briefly, uh, a couple things to think about. We need to remember when God has brought us through stuff, right? We all got stuff, right? Can you think back to any of your stuff that God brought you through? Marriage problems or health problems or problems with kids or relationship problems or just personal anxiety, depression, and some of you go, no, no, he hasn't. He hasn't brought me through stuff. Now, if you're a new Christian, maybe this is your first storm, right? But, but, but I want to ask some of you older saints who have been sailing the, the gospel ship for a while, has the Lord been faithful to bring you through the storms? Could I hear you say amen? Amen. 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 All of us could write and we could tell of the things the Lord, many of you know the, the, the things we've been through with our son, the, some of the health issues with our granddaughter. Just, we all have these things. So this chapter reminds us to rehearse God's faithfulness to us, to think back and, and remember his deliverance. And then Calvin points out that some of the names reminded them how they provoked God's anger. The third thing they ought to do is to realize after all the bad things that we did during this failure of a journey, God's actually still going to take us into the land? Calvin said they should reflect that God so tempered their punishment that he sustained them even though despised his grace. They impiously taunted him and treated God like a cruel executioner instead of their redeemer. Right? They're like, You brought us out here to kill us. And frankly, he should have. But instead, here they're on the verge of entering the land. So I do want to note one thing at the end of this chapter, though, that's that's interesting. Right at the end, when he he lists all of the um, different places, he says, by the way, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, Make sure you drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their figured stones. Destroy all their molten images. Demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land. Inherit it, right? Inherit it. Christian commentators throughout history have drawn parallels there. Now, where would your mind go? 
Be sure when you enter into the land that you drive out these wicked things. Well, isn't that really what we see as Christians? There's a parallel, one commentary said, between Israel's war against pagan religion and the Christian's call to war against our own vices of the flesh, right? Now that I'm a Christian, put off the old man, put off anger, put off lust, put off selfishness, put off laziness. These things don't just happen by accident. It's, a, it's an intentional commitment to surrender to Christ, to pray and to depend on the Holy Spirit, to be accountable and to believe God's promises, and to be willing to say, if I just allow sin to hang around in my life, man, I'm going to be miserable. Because what God said is, if you don't drive them out, he said, they will become as pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side. And some of us as Christians, a lot of our struggles are because we just refuse to make a break with sin. We just think, well, you know, I, it's really hard. I can't. And I understand that. Some sins are hard. But Jesus said, if your right hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. When we realize the consequences of our sin, he's not asking us to cut our hand off. He's saying, do what you have to do to become accountable, to come into the light, to ask others to pray for you, to get counseling, to make radical changes in your life, to drive out our sin because we're not going to have the joy of the Lord as long as we're entangled in our sins. And then we come to chapter 34, full of excitement. The Lord is going to give them the borders of the land. And I know you're eager to read it verse by verse, but for the sake of time, three things to note. Number one, the size of the land. It actually reminds us that God can do beyond all that we ask or think. Secondly, God said, you're going to get the land just as he apportions it according to the lot. But what's really cool, and I don't have time to point this out, but if you want to do something fun, go back to the book of Genesis when Jacob prophesied about the 12 sons. He said some very specific things. He said, for example, about Zebulun, that he would be by the seashore. And here in the lot, he ended up by the seashore. He, he described Asher as being a place of productive corn. Out of Asher, his bread should be fat and yield royal dainties. The tribe of Judah was promised rich vines abounding in the best pastures. So God had already had these things all picked out in his mind. Just a reminder, all of us in the body of Christ, the Bible says, God has placed us just as he pleases. We all have different gifts. So let me just close by reminding you, we always want to, at the end of a passage, think about, all right, what can I take away from this as a Christian? So real quick, number one, don't forfeit your gospel blessings for temporary earthly comforts. Here's an easy one, especially for those of you that aren't married. Don't marry an unbeliever. Don't marry an unbeliever. That's an example of saying, well, well, I found someone I love. The Bible says you're free to marry only in the Lord. Don't settle for God's second best. Don't settle for something that's sin. I wouldn't even say it's his second best. But also, as, as you're thinking through your future, in what ways might your desire for comfort, wealth, pleasure, 
vacations, cars, abundance of stuff, how might that cause you to miss gospel blessings? Because you didn't lay it all on the line. You, did, you didn't fully surrender to the Lord. How much do we, do we give? How much do we serve? Sometimes we, we, we choose to be involved in everything but the church. Instead of saying, hey, what could be more important? Only one life, it'll soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. So may the Holy Spirit help you and me to think that through. Secondly, just remember that disengaging from God's people is a path toward pain. The book of Proverbs says, he that separates himself is not wise. If you're one of those come-once-in-a-while Christians, get in the game for the Lord. Jesus said, do not forsake assembling one another. And then could, could I ask you a favor as one of the pastors here? Help us with those who have strayed. Help us. You know people that you have brought or you have befriended and you haven't seen them. And we don't even know about it. And helping us doesn't necessarily, though this is fine, say, pastor, you should call them. You could call them. I, uh, Bob has, has been leading us as a staff to go through and try to find some of the people that haven't been coming and just giving them a call. And it's been so cool to see how people are like, really appreciate that you called. So number one, don't you disengage. And number two, if you know people that have, reach out and love them. Leave the 90 and 9 and go and, and help us bring them back. And then third, with the help of Jesus, let's repent of our sins and seek to rid our lives of sin lest we're ruined by our sins. God knows your heart this morning, and if you've got something going on in a double life, you're getting a warning from the Spirit of God. Your sin will find you out. So why not say this morning, I need to repent. Lord, I was wrong. If you need to repent to someone else, then, then do that. If you've been engaging in whatever, bring it into the light. God is so full of mercy when we repent. But if you think because you've been getting away with it, you got this. You're confusing God's patience with his absence. And then two last things. Because we have Jesus, let's rehearse with gratitude how God has brought us. Our lives haven't been easy. I get it. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. You don't all have a sweet life. You weren't raised by grandfather on Heidi's mountain. But remember, remember what Samuel did. He raised the stone of Ebenezer. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Look back and remember the ways that God answered your prayers. He came through for you when you thought there was no way. He made a way in the wilderness at his time. And go back and give thanks to God. The Bible says don't forget his benefits. And then finally, think about where you are right now. Do you like it? Do you like your spouse? Do you like your job? Do you like your church? Do you like your kids? Do you like your neighbors? Do you like your country? Do you like your president? There's so many things that tempt us to be discontent. So the last thing is, because we have Jesus, let's rest with contentment where God has placed us. Remember, when, when they got the land, they didn't go, I want that spot over there. God said, no, this is where you're going to go. I don't like the mountains. God goes, I, I don't remember asking. 
I want to live by the ocean. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't consult you. So the Bible teaches that God places us where we are. And there's things in my life I would change if I could. But the Bible tells us to be content. And it's not because we try harder. Paul said it this way. I have learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So stop asking God to change your spouse, change your job, change your location, change your financial situation, change everything around you. But rather, God, give me the strength to be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You amen in me? You, you with me? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for how it helps us to grow. Thank you, Jesus, for your great patience with us. We're no better than many of these Israelites that failed. Forgive us when we choose comfort over eternal blessings, when we're stingy with our money, when we're selfish with our time, when we grumble and complain. Lord, you've brought us through so many trials, but you told us in everything give thanks. And soon and very soon, we're going to cross the Jordan and we're going to enter the kingdom of God. So may you help us as a church, all of us to be fully in, fighting the good fight of faith, helping our brothers and sisters, dealing with our sin, and inviting others to freely find salvation through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for our wonderful church. Bless them, Lord, and send them out. Use us on our mission this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.